0: Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. right, good morning. I hope everybody's doing well. I know these are... uh... These are some some difficult times, and and I don't know that uh, that any of us have really done anything to prepare us for for this this time. I've seen memes on the internet where you know introverts have said I've been preparing my whole life for days like this, but. Uh, but I think a, a day or two of, of seclusion is good, but, uh, but this, is, this has lingered on longer than I think any of us had ever. Uh, even the most introverted among us are, uh, are, are wearing out pretty quickly. In my family, we took a little, uh, a little mental health break yesterday. We took our Jeep, rode out to the Cahutta Wilderness area. It's a beautiful place over there, if you hadn't been able to go over there. One of the things that struck me as we were driving was that in spite of the beauty, you couldn't help but see signs of less than beautiful days. Yesterday was a gorgeous spring day, of course, Uh, but there were areas where there were freshly fallen trees that were reminding us of the storms that came through a week ago. There were evidence of creeks that had recently left their banks with high water marks on the brush alongside, reminding us of the amount of rain that we received during that time. There was one area that we drove through that had a big, large, yellow warning sign nailed to a tree telling us about the dangers that lie beyond that sign. That particular area was ravaged in the wildfires in 2016 that affected so much of our area and eastern Tennessee. Then as we were coming home yesterday through the Okoe River Gorge, we noticed that there were no people on the river. Uh, No kayakers playing in the rapids, no buses filled with eager rafters, nobody enjoying the rocks there along the Olympic Center on the river, and though the natural beauty of the river yesterday was really in full display, the absence of human beings was a very, very dark omen in that area. Not, not visible like the tornado damage, no muddy line on the brush along the creek banks, no charred marks on the uh, towering oak trees. And though we couldn't see it, the, the coronavirus that has upended our lives in so brief a span of time had affected even the, the river yesterday. And, and it's just a, a potent reminder of the cost of our rebellion that we've read about in Genesis chapter 3. You know, at first they they told us that this virus was simply a a product of a market there in China. So many people and exotic animals, some living, some not, contained in such small space. They say it was a prime location for a disaster to transpire. Now they're telling us that this thing may have been the result of an accident accident at a laboratory. The fact of the matter is is that it doesn't really matter where it came from at this point in time. We know that there's conspiracy theories that abound and I will say that Christians we need to be very cautious when it comes to our embrace of conspiracy. The fact of the matter is is that we have dishonest players, believe it or not, there's unethical politicians there's biased media, and there's all kinds of different agendas that are at work. And all of this is just a very powerful reminder that we live in a world that is marred by sin. And as Christians, we need to do our very best to sort through all of this noise, to look for the truth, and to trust the Holy Spirit. Over the last 10 weeks, we've been walking through the Old Testament to to capture the big ideas that are contained therein. Now, we remember the Bible as a whole, though we refer to it in in its two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. We need to understand that that's not two different stories or two different books. Hopefully, you've seen as we've worked through this, how the storyline of the Old Testament points directly to the story of the New and so we began by talking about God's very good creation. And as the creator, God is ultimately powerful. He has penultimate authority over creation. On the sixth day of his creative process, God made the, the absolute pinnacle of his creation. Human beings created them in his image and likeness, gave them authority over creation to exercise dominion. They were given freedom. They were blessed to dwell in God's presence. However, in their freedom, they chose to disobey God and his one clear instruction. By their disobedience, they introduced sin into the human race. However, even in God's judgment against sin, he promised that one day there would be vindication. A son of Eve would destroy the serpent who deceived them. That promised son of Eve would be traced generations away from the fall through the family of a man named Abraham. God entered into covenant with Abraham and promised that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And as God fulfilled his promise to Abraham to make him a great nation, his great-grandson Judah would become the promised line for a future king. And while God was working on this front to bring about the promised seed of Eve, he was also establishing the means to to finally and forever deal with the sin that was introduced by Adam and Eve. Beginning in the Exodus, God would require the people to offer animal sacrifices. Those animals would serve as a regular reminder of their substitution to remind the people of the cost of sin. These animals, however, were only temporary. They pointed to a time, though, when God would take care of the need permanently. Throughout Judah's line, God would raise up a king by the name of David. And God's promise through through David is that there would eternally be a son of David on the throne. And though David's descendants failed miserably, They failed to walk with the Lord. They failed to be obedient. God was still faithful to his promises that there would be a Davidic king to rule from the throne. Meanwhile, God raised up prophets who began to look beyond the failures of the nation of Israel and beyond the failures of her kings to a future hope. A future hope where there would be one who would bring about healing and hope through his suffering and his final atonement for sin. A future hope where humanity's greatest enemy, death, is once and all finally defeated. And so this stage has been set. This, this incredible stage has been set. This painting has been painted that is, that is so ready for someone to walk onto the scene to walk out into the spotlight. And we as Christians understand that that person is Jesus. However, we're still left with a little piece of the puzzle. It's not quite right. We've got a king who rules over the kingdom forever and ever. Sin has been atoned for. Death has been conquered. But we still have this creation that is is prone to to death and despair and destruction. We still have this creation where we have tornadoes and floods and coronaviruses and cancer. Well, God answers this question for us today as we complete our journey through the Old Testament. Now, just for the record, we've skipped a ton. So if you go back and listen to the last 10 weeks and pick up today, you're not going to have a full picture of everything that's in the Old Testament. This was never designed to be an exhaustive review of the Older Testament. However, the goal was not to provide detailed analysis of every single book, but to set the stage for the second part of our story. So let's see what the Older Testament has to say about our predicament with this fallen world. And we go back to Isaiah for just a a brief time today. Back in Isaiah, the 65th chapter, the prophet Isaiah gives us a a clue of what he is about to, or of what God is going to accomplish to, to right all that is wrong. And so back in Isaiah chapter 65, we look at verse 17 and we encounter these words. For behold, I create Father, we are grateful for your word, for the promise of a new creation, a new heavens, and a new earth. We thank you that throughout our journey in the Old Testament, you have set the stage for Jesus to walk on to, to atone for sin, to conquer death, and Lord, one day to right all that's wrong in this broken world, to give us a new heaven and a new earth, Lord, may you guide our discussion today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, when we look at Isaiah's prophecy here, one of the things that we need to understand is this. God has a strong commitment to his creation. God has a strong commitment to his creation. Now, if we we go back just a a few weeks, back to the start of our journey, God made everything, and God declared everything that he made to be good. He created Adam and Eve as stewards of his created order. It is clear that he intended that creation should provide them with the material resources that they needed. God told them they could eat. He told them of, of of the benefits and the blessings that creation would provide for them. However, it was always intended that they exercise stewardship as they exercise dominion. Now, we know that the fall has damaged both creation and the way that we relate to creation. Sadly, there's some places where people exploit creation rather than demonstrate wise stewardship. When we read Isaiah's words, however, we need to understand that God's not about to throw it all away. You know, sometimes we do that. We've made something and we're not happy with the outcome and we'll wad it up and we'll throw it away. That's not what God's about to do. God's not about to just wad wad all this up and toss it out. Instead, we have this, this sense that God is going to remake this creation, and when God makes creation new, He will do so. And in this new creation, we will no longer see that it is marred by the stain of sin. Some people have a view of of heaven that we're going to be seated on clouds and playing harps like little 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 cherubim floating around. That's not the picture that the Bible gives us of this new creation. This new creation that God is going to make is is a creation that that will will in so many ways be similar to what we've experienced in the sense of of, of natural beauty and its splendor. It just won't be affected by sin. We will see that it's no longer affected by the potential for deadly weather or deadly viruses. It's brand new. It doesn't have the effect of sin in it anymore. And again, we see the shadows of this reality. The scriptures give us pictures of this. The psalmist in Psalm 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. You've experienced this when you've gone outside, not on a night where there's smog and pollution and you can't see very well, but on a on a clear night when the sky is, is clear and there's there's nothing hindering your view and you can see that, that faint ribbon of the Milky Way stretching from horizon to horizon, you get the sense of the, the majesty and the grandeur and the splendor of creation and and the heavens are declaring God's glory Isaiah 55 verse 12 for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. again I've never heard a mountain sing a song and I've never seen a tree clap its hands but I understand what Isaiah is talking about here when he tells us these things Romans 8, verse 19, creation is personified. We're told that creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The world around us is waiting, ready, eager to be restored to its rightful place. So we see God isn't finished with the created world, but will one day remake it in perfection. And in this new creation, we will see all of God's promises worked out to completion and perfection. Secondly, we understand today that in the new creation, all of God's covenant blessings are realized. Remember what God said to Abraham one day, all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. If we kept on reading in Isaiah 65, we see that that, that this new creation will be a place where there's eternal joy. We'll see that it's a place where there's no weeping or sadness. And these are things that are echoed over in the book of Revelation. We will see that there is a sense of a restored fellowship with God. Listen, this is what the garden was supposed to be prior to the fall. A place where where humans and God were, were, were able to walk together in the garden. A place of eternal joy. A place where there's no weeping or sadness. But the fall corrupted all of that. The Old Testament has painted for us the picture of God's plan to to roll back our failures and to correct the damage that we did. Through the substitutionary sacrifice of the suffering servant, God would deal with sin. Through the resurrection, God would conquer death. Through the new creation, God would overcome the curse. Humans will, will be able to reign as stewards. The son of David will eternally be on the throne. And we will live in a land where the lion and the lamb can lay together in peace. That image has always been one that has symbolized peace, but I don't think that it's coincidental at all that the lion of the tribe of Judah is also recognized as the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You see, those two images coexist in Jesus, and they become a symbol of, of peace in the new creation. Thirdly, we're we reminded of this, that the new creation tells us that no singular nation has exclusive claims on God's promises. Though Isaiah specifically mentions Jerusalem, we understand that he's using Jerusalem as a way of representing all the nations. Jerusalem becomes a, a, a stand-in for, for all the nations. Uh, again, we We see this throughout the Old Testament, even if the Israelites frequently miss the point. God's promise to Abraham is that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him, not just a single nation. The Temple of Solomon was was envisioned as a place of prayer for all nations, not just a place for the Jews. Isaiah even looks forward to that time back in Isaiah chapter 56, verses 6 through 7. And the foreigner who joins themselves to the Lord to minister him, to to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. You see, even though God identified a covenant people with whom to bring about His plan, His plan was never for any single nation or ethnic group to lay exclusive claim to His blessings. God had an eye to the nations from the very beginning. Finally, I'll say this. Pay attention to the serpent in the new creation. Look down at verse 25 in Isaiah chapter 65. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the dust shall be the serpent's food. Now that, that should sound familiar. That should sound familiar to us today because, because God had already warned the serpent back in Genesis chapter 3. God had already told the serpent what the outcome of his, of his rebellion would be. And part of the outcome is that he would eat dust and his head would be crushed by that son of Eve. The implication of what's being said here in Isaiah chapter 65 is the final humiliation of the serpent. Again, all of God's promises are satisfied. And the serpent is finally humiliated. You know, even today the serpent it's still prowling. The New Testament authors recognize that he still poses a bit of a risk. He's described as a, as a lion looking for someone to destroy. As Christians, we are instructed that we should resist him. But when God restores all things, we will no longer need to consider resisting Him because He will finally and fatally be defeated. The dust will finally be His food. His humiliation will be final and complete. The question that's begged here is this. When we consider these future-looking promises, I think sometimes it can be difficult for us to to understand what application they have for us today. Today. Now, now certainly, they give us cause for hope today, courage for tomorrow. I had a preacher buddy who used to say that we shouldn't be so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. We shouldn't be so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. I think he's exactly right. So what does this promise of a new creation do for us today when we're stuck in this fallen world? As Christians in a, in a world where we do have floods and tornadoes and viruses and fires and all those sort of things, what do we do with this idea of a new creation? Well, first of all, this should help us to cope with our present reality. This should help us to cope with our present reality. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, we read these words from the Apostle Paul. For this light momentary affliction... Is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And we read that and think light, momentary affliction. Do we recognize some of the struggles that we're dealing with here? Light, momentary affliction. Does he understand the pain of 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 suffering with a with a virus? Does he understand what it means to be quarantined in the house with everybody for six weeks? Does he really get momentary light suffering? I think he does. Paul understood something of suffering. I think it's safe to say that the apostle Paul experienced more suffering in his life than most of us could imagine. He gives some details of it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is just his recollection of all the struggles. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I went through the list, and I tried to just see if I could compare. And, and I, I don't know that I, I, I've, been, I've been spanked, but I've never been beat with a rod. I've, I've never been stoned, either through chemicals or with rocks being thrown at me. I've never been shipwrecked. I did flip a kayak over once. I've never been in danger from robbers, really, never danger from Jews, not really danger from Gentiles. I've been in some sketchy places in the city before, some maybe there. I, I do have some anxiety for a church, not all the churches. I don't think I've ever been hungry. I don't think I've ever gone without food. I don't think I've really ever been thirsty. And so I go through the list, and I think, well, you know what? My life's not been all that tough. Yet Paul looks at his life, and he says, these are momentary light afflictions. But he says these momentary light afflictions are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Listen, if you're struggling today, If you're struggling because of your job or you're struggling because of your circumstances or you're struggling because of of the challenges that we are facing, if you're having a difficult time, I want to encourage you today that there's a new creation coming. There's a new creation coming, and all the things that we have today that cause us hardship and heartache and headaches, they're not going to be there. They're not going to be there and the 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 endurance that we have to go through in times like this and times that are far worse than this only causes us to appreciate the glory of what is to come secondly i believe this promise of a new creation should empower our evangelism hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 says let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. If we believe God's promises, then we confess our hope without wavering. I don't know about you, but, but going through the Old Testament like this has helped me see again how faithful God is to his promises. He keeps every one of them. He keeps every one of them. And so if I believe him, if I believe he's going to do what he says he's going to do, then my confidence is unshaken and my resolve is steadfast, which means that even if I'm rejected by man, and even if my confession of faith is mocked by man, God is no less faithful to keep all of his promises. He's no less faithful to keep every single promise that he has made. So who am I to give up if I'm mocked? Who am I to give up if my my confession is rejected? Who am I to give up if my evangelism isn't received? If I believe God's going to do everything God says he's going to do, then my confession is unmoved. We hold fast to it. Lastly, I believe this idea of a new creation should only serve to enhance our worship. I, I love Luke chapter 19 when Jesus enters into the city and the Mount of Olives there, and, and it's Palm Sunday. He says, we're told here as he was drawing near in verse 37, Luke 19. Already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Probably wasn't very Baptist sounding, but they probably had a great time. They said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They were having a shouting party. But there was that crowd. Those Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. (laughs) Listen to that. The fallen rocks, the fallen rocks of this present age, declare the glory of God. Yesterday as we were traveling home, I noticed a sign had been put up by the Department of Transportation that was warning travelers about, and it said this, fallen rocks. It occurred to me that they were worried about them falling off the side of the ridge, but those fallen rocks declare the glory of God. The psalmist recognized the chorus of the heavens as they proclaim the majesty of God. How much more, how much more should the children of God who know the end of the matter, the children of God whose sins have been atoned for, the children of God who understand that even death has no victory. Much more should the children of God freely and boldly sing of our Creator? Would you pray with me, please? The old hymn declares, This is my father's world. to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world, oh rest in me the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas. His hands the wonders wrought. This is my father's world. The birds their carols raise, the morning light the lily white declare their maker's praise. This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. This is my father's world. Oh let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.